When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Let It Roll, Tales from the Tour Bus, where the podcast about how and why popular music happens takes a break to talk about our favorite animated music history show from Mike Judge with hosts Nate Wilcox and Justin Bankston. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. You can now follow us on Twitter at Let It Rollcast, and we'd love to hear what you think, so don't be shy about tweeting at us or commenting on our website. This week, Nate and Justin talk about the epic debut of Tales from the Tour Bus featuring the legendary Johnny Paycheck. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Welcome back to Let It Roll. This is your host, Nate Wilcox, and this is a different kind of Let It Roll than we've had before. My good friend, Justin Bankston, who's the CTO of South by Southwest, is joining us for a discussion of my favorite show of the last two years, Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. We're going to try to do every episode. So this is a discussion of season one, episode one, Justin, uh, Johnny Paycheck. Welcome, Justin. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Nate. This is exciting. I'm a big fan of the show as you are and uh man this johnny paycheck one there's so much to to talk about for sure this is the one that got me hooked they put it up on youtube for free it's been kind of maddening to me how buried under a rock called cinemax this series has been i mean basically at this point in time i don't know who subscribes to cinemax or pay cable and in general i get it through amazon prime you can subscribe to cinemax that way uh, you can also buy the series once they've aired, which is well worth it. I've I've watched uh, the first season literally dozens of times each episode, so couldn't recommend it any more highly. But first off, just like the let's just answer the basic questions. This this is a thirty minute biography, mostly animated in the in the classic Mike Judge style. I think it's the funniest thing he's done since Beavis and Butthead. But it's also an excellent excellent musical documentary series. Thirty minute shows. Most of them are about people that are a little bit undersung. I, I don't know about you, Justin, but for me, I mean, I, I knew Johnny Paycheck from Take This Job and Shove It, but I had never really dived into his discography. Had you? I am not a huge Johnny Paycheck listener over the years. Like you said, I'm, I was familiar with uh, Take This Job and Shove It, though I had come across some videos of him as I'd gone down like YouTube rabbit holes. Uh, starting with George Jones and 
uh, things like that. And basically I'll watch guys in nudie suits like on YouTube for hours just because it's so fun. Yeah, it's definitely um, classic country all the way. And uh, and what I didn't realize was the depth of Johnny Paycheck's talent. I mean, uh, uh, the main interviewees are the Adams Brothers, who are also known as the Jones Boys, because they not only backed up Johnny Paycheck, but they joined Johnny Paycheck in backing up John- George Jones for years and years, and I always called the Jones Boys when they played with George. But, you know, they uh, Gary Adams called him, a Mozart of country music because this is a guy who could play steel guitar, uh, lead guitar, acoustic guitar, fiddle, and was considered for a while the best session bass player in Nashville during the 60s. And the discography, his work on Little Darlin' Records in the 60s, man, if you like hardcore country, that shit is well worth the dive. Well worth the dive. Yeah, it's so good. And it's it's also frustrating because it is hard to find the Little Darlin' stuff. It's not easily accessible on Spotify. Uh, you can get, you know, as with everything else, you can get it all on YouTube. But uh, yeah, that that Darlin' Record stuff is, it's so good. It reminds me a little of uh, Bakersfield style, small group, tight arrangements, just hard-hitting, good country music. Yeah, and it's clearly, it was made for jukeboxes and adult audiences because uh, endless songs about, you know, excuse me, I've got to go kill somebody and shit like that. And, uh, double entendres. <laughs> it's, uh, yep. it's raunchy, but, but let's focus on the episode. So, so it's the story of Johnny Paycheck, who's a journeyman honky tonker and Nashville musician had a big hit in the early seventies, uh, with, uh, don't take her. She's all I've got. And then, uh, turned outlaw after a prison stint. Uh, not his first one, by the way, either. Uh, and, and then and then does the anthem, the David Allen Coe song, Take This Job and Shove It, which was just an enormous hit, uh, can't handle the success, and ends up shooting a guy and doing several years of hard time in prison. So that's the basic Johnny Paycheck story. And, and, and the way they tell it, um, pretty much chronological order in this one. Like they don't stick with that for throughout the series, but with Johnny, it's, it's a pretty straightforward narrative starts at the beginning. And, and I think they had the advantage because the Adams brothers literally knew this guy, uh, since he was a little shit, four year old running around a tree outside their trailer house. And, Absolutely. and, and that's, it's, it's, uh, the, the three Adams brothers, Gary, Roland, Arnie Adams and Don Adams, um, were a guitar bassist and drummer, respectively, that played with Johnny Paycheck for years and years. And it's interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this on the George Jones and Tammy Wynette episode, but as much as they pull no punches about Johnny's antics, you can tell that they love the guy. Absolutely, absolutely. And one thing I love about the show, like you said, this one, the first episode goes sort of, front to back from when he's a little kid to the end, because there's this through line of, of the Adams brothers that knew him that whole time. And, uh, what I love about this show, especially for someone like you or me, who is spending a lot of time just in this world, reading books and watching stuff. Uh, what judge does is he basically tells the story based on who he's got in the room. So he's not going to go out and pull a bunch of information about what happened to this person 
you know, about Johnny Paycheck unless there's someone in the room that can speak directly to it. So the story is sort of told just by the people that, that managed to show up and talk about it. So if you've got people that knew him this whole life, then you get the whole life story. And if you don't, you kind of don't. But I love that because it's, it's, it's what it's about. It's about the stories and it's not about uh, a book report on, you know, Johnny Paycheck, born this day, died this day. Yeah, and and uh, and and one of the real secrets of this series is not only the animation allows them to retell these. You know, you you've got the narration and you've got people telling the story, but then they're showing you the story in cartoon form. So when Johnny pulls shit like stealing Patsy Cline's Cadillac, it's hilarious, and you can see it. You know, it's like watching King of the Hill or Beavis and Butthead. I mean, it's some of the funniest shit Mike Judge has done. Uh, in his entire career, and yet the music segments are real footage; they're not animated, and so he's able to like use Johnny Paycheck's art to immediately like you either get it or you don't. And and they 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 open the, the first music they feature is is Johnny, uh, I think from the eighties. He's 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 sitting down with Ronnie Hawkins. They don't tell you this in the episode, but. He's sitting down with the legendary Ronnie Hawkins, who, uh, you know, of Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks that later became the band. Yep. And he's doing an acoustic version of a song called Sharon Ray that's about his uh, wife that he wrote. And it's just incredibly powerful. And, and it's just a great musical selection. And it, and it immediately gives Paycheck this artistic credibility to anybody with ears and a heart that you wouldn't know just from take this job and shove it, or even from some of his honky tonk hits. Like it, it gives a real human dimension and, and lets you see for yourself and hear for yourself the kind of emotional power that Johnny Paycheck was, was able to bring. I agree. That, that was, it was very effectively done. And just as like, here's, and it also was a little bit of a foreshadowing. It was a little bit of a preview of like the sort of, you know, pathos that you get from later Johnny as he gets, you know, older and more haggard, like it, the, uh, he just gets a little more intense and, and you, you see a little flash of that right early on in that scene you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's a great foreshadow for the, the song old violin that they used to wrap up the show, but I want to, I don't want to get too, too out of order. I mean, they, they use, (laughs) They use the Adams brothers to set up the story, and these are guys who literally grew up with them in the part of Ohio that, you know, if you're not that familiar with Ohio, man, it's pretty much Appalachia with Cleveland at the top. And and these are country yeah. boys, and, and they grew up together. Uh, you know, Gary Adams thinks that he remembers the first time he saw Johnny Paycheck. Uh, my older brother was whipping his ass in, in the backyard, you know. <laughs> but they, yeah. you know, they clearly respect his talents, and, and they talk about his, his multi-instrumentalism, and then they show some footage of him. I think it's a TV segment that was shot with George Jones in the '60s, but he he's playing bass for Jones, and then comes steps up to feature his biggest jukebox hit of that era, A11, um, which is a great tune. And yeah, it's a that's a super fun. I've watched that video of him doing A11 a hundred times because it's just so perfect. And you know, he's playing bass and singing back up for George and then they feature him and he comes out and does his song and it's just lights out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real knockout. And, and this is around the time that Gary Adams calls him the, you know, a Mozart of country music. And, and it really does seem to be 
as much as this guy, you know, I mean that he the the show climaxes with him shooting somebody in the head for really no reason <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of, of an ill-advised cocaine and theft binge and an attempted statutory rape uh, case. But they do, I think, whitewash him a little bit, and and I think Judge is pretty clear that he's trying to share his appreciation for these people's music. And so he's not looking to do sort of a Bill Cosby take, you know, a takedown or this isn't surviving R. Kelly. And I don't think that Paycheck ever did anything as bad as what R. Kelly or Bill Cosby has been accused of. But, um, you know, certainly pulled some stunts that got him in prison multiple times. And, and they, they talk about him early on as a, as hubcap Donnie, his given name was Donnie Lytle. And, you know, a joke about how he's not only stole the hubcaps, he stole the car. But uh, they skip over multiple teenage prison uh, and jail sentences. They kind of compress it into one. And then, you know, he goes to jail locally and then and then goes to Nashville. They skip the whole part. I believe he went AWOL from the Navy and a whole bunch of other shit. So, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> you know, more to the Johnny Paycheck madness that they can get across in 30 minutes. But. Then yeah, the, I think that's because if if he had had somebody that knew Johnny in the Navy uh, there to talk about it, maybe we would have gotten a little bit of that. But, like, from the perspective of the Adams brothers, you know, he was in a bunch of trouble and then he left and then he came back, you know, or they heard from him in, in Nashville. And so yeah, that's kind of how down. the story goes. Yeah, yeah, down in Nashville. And that's an excellent point. I mean, this, that's one of the things that makes it such a great documentary series because it's all – primary sourcing these are they're doing their own original interviews and they're not trying to give you they're not talking to like a bunch of country music historians or critics they don't need to tell you oh johnny paycheck is important because of this or that or johnny paycheck is great um they just show you they show you the music and absolutely and then they tell let the people that knew him tell the stories and the next uh, major character that comes in is a pretty inimitable dude. Uh, they they only call him Swamp Dog, and I haven't actually been able to find out what his given name was, but this is an African-American country songwriter who wrote Johnny's biggest hit uh, of the early 70s, the biggest hit of his career, with the exception of Take This Job and Shove It, and called Don't Take Her, She's All I've Got. And and it's just classic. And, it, and I, I really love seeing, you know, when you talk about the history of R&B, you always have to acknowledge, you know, the role that, that white Americans played in, in the development of rhythm and blues. But African Americans have played such a huge role in the development of country music and not gotten hardly any credit for it, with the exception of maybe Charlie Pride. So I really thought it was cool to see Swamp Dog, who's obviously a very accomplished uh, country songwriter, and uh, seems like he did pretty well for himself. He brags about making a fortune on that song and and yeah it looks like he's in good circumstances yeah, well, and he is also a uh you know he's he put out his own records that were you know r and b and funk records that uh he was sort of on the sort of he was a he was an eclectic artist you might say like the the album rat on it shows him like writing a giant rat on the cover of it, and so his songs tend to be kind of funny and raunchy, but they are really well produced killer funk music. So he was sort of like a, you know, a cult soul singer, you know, on the weird side. And then also had this sideline writing songs for people like Johnny Paycheck. It was like a real interesting cat. 
Yeah, and it reminds me of the stuff. Um, Rudy Ray Moore would be the the example. I mean, on a less successful scale uh, than Dolomite himself, but that sort of genre, the the kind of stuff exactly. that Red Fox's comedy record success allowed uh, African American artists and and record companies that were eager to exploit him to do. You know, just put out pretty earthy, funky, uh, dirty stuff. But so Swamp Dog's a cool interlude, and and then and they show Johnny. Johnny Paycheck at the at the sort of peak of his his Nashville success pre Outlaw there and and I also didn't we we neglected to mention the whole story of how he got his name Johnny Paycheck from from a manager who had a a, a, a pro wrestling hero I believe I think he was a wrestler if not a boxer but the guy was Polish and he called himself Johnny Paycheck uh, without the C just a K at the end but and Judge does a hilarious yeah I think the guy's name was actually Paycheck. And that was like actually his name, uh, and yeah. so they just right. took it and and made it uh, made it paycheck like what you cash at the store, which made it funnier and uh, cooler. Yeah. And Judge does a hilarious riff on what he calls the Johnny trend with Johnny Cash and Johnny Dollar and all these performers in country music at the time that were named Johnny. But then we meet Ernie Step. Uh, his manager and this guy oh my goodness (laughs) this guy's my vote for the absolute character of the episode i mean johnny paycheck accepted of course but step was (laughs) you know paycheck was a little tiny dude and they talk about that quite a bit but step was the guy who protected him and and even shot a bus driver in the ear when the guy wouldn't pull over and give johnny a big mac i mean fucking hell yeah he needed to get his double triple hamburger And the way he tells the story is just so dry and classic. But I think what separates, like, my probably my favorite part of the episode, or the most touching part of this episode, is when Ernie Stepp tells the story of the time that uh, Johnny Paycheck went to a minor strike in Harlan County, West Virginia, which is, uh, you know, there was a documentary uh, about this this stuff, and just some of the most violent union clashes in U.S. history have happened in that county. And Paycheck was called out by the governor to help bring calm to the situation and, and literally showed up on the picket line singing, take this job and shove it, and really rallying the workers uh, to his side. And and Steps, so touched telling the story, he says it's the only time he ever saw Johnny Paycheck cry. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think that's for a musician who cares about his people. You know, if you can do something like that, like Johnny Paycheck wasn't Woody Guthrie or somebody who was like, consciously committed to social activism but um he was clearly proud of of having the had the chance to play that role absolutely absolutely because he was you know he was from a working background you know all of his friends were still you know in that world he maybe he was friends with george jones too but like he that was that those were his people yeah for sure, just a classic Appalachian Scots Irish, you know, white trash redneck, and uh, and and cared about his people. But this all builds up to the crescendo of the episode. The main thrust of the story is the tale of how Johnny uh, ends up shooting a guy in the head, <laughs> and it's <laughs> you know, it, it basically they they start laying the groundwork for it by by telling stories of the struggles Johnny had surviving his own success. Like the time he gets arrested shirtless in Canada 
uh, for getting rowdy in a bar and ends up in court shirtless. And when they when they go to sing "God Save the Queen," he stands up and flips off the court. <laughs> yeah, just just uh, I believe somebody says he's got a complete disregard for the law when he was drunk. And uh, that seems to be a frequent occurrence. And then after the mega hit with takers, take this job up and shove it. They're like instant cocaine habit. Nothing worse than a hillbilly with the hit record. And, Indeed. Yeah, and, and he gets mixed up with the Hell's Angels. Arnie Step talks about how you know he uh, they treated him like a baby, basically. Like they they wrapped themselves around this guy. And I I think this this we'll definitely talk about this when we get to the Waylon Jennings episode too, but. Yeah, the Hell's Angels, unlike their pretty strained relationships with rock bands like the Jefferson Airplane and the Rolling Stones, uh, with the exception of the Grateful Dead, they always got along great with the Dead, but they loved country performers and they really took care of Johnny Johnny Paycheck, setting up this tale where Johnny uh, is hanging out at a Hell's Angels clubhouse in Maryland. There's a bomb threat that the FBI picks up as they're surveilling this thing. And so the, the, they warn the angels that there's a bomb threat that they flee the scene. Johnny steals all the cocaine in the place and goes on this epic fucking bender. Yeah. And evidently two suitcases of cash money is what, is what is also reported. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, he ends up, um, he's looking for this 14-year-old girl, Nisi, and I believe you told me that he got actually convicted on statutory rape charges, and we don't know if this was the same incident or a different one. That was um, a different one. Oh, man. Yeah, and and that's just that's just the 70s, you know? Our generation was yep. just feasted upon sexually by our elders. That's that's just a reality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Paycheck was no no exception there, but he he ends up going on the he's looking he's 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 trying to find Gary Adams Jerry Gary Adams niece niece and uh and ends up in a bar has this ridiculous hat exchange and ends up and gunplay ensues it's it's there's turtle soup involved and there's just no way to tell you you just have to see this um what's great about this is that there there you've got multiple people telling the story none of whom were there uh, you got a couple of lawyers who are total weirdos, and then you got the Adams brothers relating the way they heard it, um, and they just weave it all together in with the animation uh, to just make this hilarious but yet really gripping sort of scene of this confrontation in this bar. The thing that really struck me too is what a great job they did with the animation of making Johnny just seem completely unhinged and demonic, like standing in this bar. Uh, like he looked like he was going to shoot somebody. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they really play up the, the pinprick pupils, uh, that you get yeah. from heavy narcotic use and, and the teeth grinding and, and, you know, he, he wanders into a bar with some guys that he's vaguely acquainted with from having grown up in the area. And they're just trying to be friendly and don't realize that this is a guy in the throes of extreme cocaine psychosis <laughs> and packing yeah, 20 days into it. Yeah. And, uh, and very, very paranoid is his attorney, uh, Ralph bus that the hell's angels hook him up with, you know, the way he tells his story, you know, is, 
so dry and hilarious and and there's this exchange of baseball caps and 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 bus describes it you know as as johnny was very alert to danger <laughs> and he took that exchange <laughs> as a serious threat so i mean it's you, you, we can't we can't do the thing justice you just have to fucking watch it but but Absolutely. it's an epic tale and and then uh you know they've they've also got uh, a local attorney rocky Koss, who tells the story of the judge in the case who's a one-armed judge who wears two layers of sunglasses in the courtroom because his migraines are so bad and you know letting johnny paycheck testify on the stand was apparently not one of Belfast's <laughs> better moves <laughs> that's it yeah, madness. Yeah. Evidently, um, Johnny Reed grabs a pistol that's there as evidence and, like, cowboy twirls it for the crowd. Yeah, which uh, might have been a good move on stage. That's <laughs> 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 such a good move, uh, you know, uh, in the courtroom when you're on trial. And he ended up catching, like, a nine-and-a-half-year sentence, I think. He didn't serve the whole thing, but he did several years, and he credited it with saving his life. So I'm sure... It added, you know, uh, quite a few years of his life. Gary Adams, I think, says he 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 knows for a fact that Johnny snorted sixteen million dollars worth of cocaine. That so, is such an oddly specific and also outlandish number that it's really amazing to say. I know for a fact that Johnny Paycheck snorted sixteen million dollars worth of cocaine. Yeah, I'm very <laughs> curious. I would love to ask a follow up question of how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> My guess is that he knows how much has a rough idea of how much money Johnny Paycheck made, and yeah, that cocaine. He's just attributing all of it to yeah to cocaine. Although there are tales of running Learjets and flying to the wrong city and then taking cabs to to take him back to the right town. And, Indeed, you know other profligate characters. But let's let's bounce questions back and forth off each other. What was your favorite part of the episode? You know, my favorite part of it was, I mean, kind of the whole thing, uh, but really like the, the Adams brothers, like the sort of way that they talked to each other and sort of finished each other's sentences and stuff and the way that they would all laugh uh, at the same time. Those guys were my favorite. Like, And they didn't spend any time talking about themselves, but those guys are total badasses. I mean, they backed up Johnny, but they also backed up George Jones and Merle Haggard and Marty Robbins and Tammy Wynette. I mean, they were like in-demand, hard-ass musicians. And they, they're they not interested in relating that to the audience at all. They're there to talk about Johnny Paycheck, and that's what they do. And they're so funny about it, and they're so deadpan. And then the way they all laugh together, it's like not only are they brothers, but they've spent all this time in the bus together. And it really comes through, and it's super enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it's it's they definitely are the heart of this episode. Uh, that that, and I think I think that their contribution makes it so strong, which is why it was the season opener because they wanted to go. Uh, I mean, it seems pretty clear. I've thought a lot about the structure. They've got eight episodes to do. And this was the the one they gave away free on YouTube. So they wanted something that had some really hard laughs and some really powerful music. And 
this had that combination. I mean, Johnny Paycheck was not somebody who had like the grandeur of Waylon Jennings. He wasn't like a living king. Uh, he wasn't an idiot savant like George Jones either. You know, George, we'll get to the George and Tammy two-parter, which is just epic psychosis. But but Johnny, <laughs> despite the gunplay and the criminal antics, is kind of a lighthearted tale in a way. I mean, it's it's painfully sad but it's so fucking funny and and you just can't take him that seriously as a threat I, although i'm sure yeah. if he was pointing a 22 revolver at your head it would be a little different <laughs> you know but my favorite part of the episode is probably this, the tale of when he was playing bass for patsy klein and and got shit-faced and stole her cadillac and and they're locked in they're some kind of county fair country music exhibition in texas and he literally they close the gate there's only one gate and he has to drive he chooses to drive around until the thing runs out of gas i mean uh and the way uh patsy klein you know she just gets this cameo in this episode and it kind of reminds me of of the way hank williams senior has a brief cameo in the billy joe shaver episode later on i mean if you're a country music head you know what a big deal patsy klein was and And they convey that visually, the force of her personality. I mean, this was a woman who called herself the Kleiner and who was out at the Nashville bars wheeling and dealing with the toughest managers and agents in Nashville and and ran her own career and ran her own band and was a total badass. And and they managed to get that across and 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 you know, it's just it's just a, a classic tale. But what was your favorite song in the in the episode? I probably a 11 just because like I said, I've watched that video of him doing it on YouTube so many times and it's just such a classic tune. And it's so the fact that he's playing bass uh, and singing, I love. And then uh, the fact that he's, he just comes across so talented and so young and hopeful in that moment when you're watching him sing that song, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to beat that as like a quintessential honky tonk tune and a great performance and and I'm so glad they found that video um, and I think that's YouTube that that gets the credit there uh, you know I think these guys did what we've been doing since we got the show is you know Google yep. start searching YouTube for Johnny Paycheck and and you find some amazing stuff. My favorite song would probably be Sharon Ray that the opener just because it's just so powerful and raw and conveys the anguish that a life as a traveling musician inflicts on your family. And, you know, seeing a semi-toothless Johnny Paycheck, you know, who's probably in his early 40s at that point and looks every inch of 65 you know i mean it's it's (laughs) it's very powerful but it's really hard to choose because all all five of the songs they feature in there are great of course they have to do take this job and shove it and they get a great uh tv variety version of it but and and the ender the old violin i think we got to talk about because this is a song gary adams calls uh johnny's greatest song that he wrote and and Somebody else says, you know, it's it's pretty heavy to write your own funeral song, and and they get a great performance uh, from looks like the early '90s, and Johnny's cleaned up, um, but very weathered and leathery and old. 
yeah. and it's 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 a great end to the song and really um i you know judge is able to get away with having so much fun with these characters even as he's you know telling these tales of drug abuse and madness and violence and telling them for laughs basically but because he uses such powerful music it gets the the he lets the music carry the weight of the pathos rather than trying to do it with cartoons. And it's, yeah, I think just an incredibly um, powerful combination. But well, the whole thing you, is deep in an obvious respect for the music. Like you, he can use the lines, like there's nothing worse than a hillbilly with a hit record because, because the whole project just screams love and respect for country music. Uh, when you're watching it, it comes across. So, so all the like cheap gags and stuff are entertainment and you're entertained, but at no point do you feel like, like country music is being belittled or that these uh, people are being, you know, disrespected by Mike judge or anyone else, which I love because there is, you do see that and it, it gets under my skin every single time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and judge is somebody, you know, I've seen him at the broken spoke on many occasions. I mean, he's a true blue hardcore country music fan. And, and I mean, and he's a well-rounded guy as, you know, season two, the funk series shows, but, um, he clearly has a deep love for country music. And just from the opening lines of the show, when he introduces it, you know, he, he cuts the chase pretty quick of, you don't like country music, do you? And, and just confronts people with that. And, and it's unabashed, you know, and his love for it, but doesn't, He's so understated in the way he sells it, you know. He's just like yep. that 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 it, it's very powerful. But what was the funniest part of the show to you? Oh man, there were so many. I think my favorite was the joke that uh, one of the Adams brothers snuck in, and he's talking about how they're in Nashville doing all these drugs. And he was basically saying, "Yeah, we would get up on all the speed, and then we spent about three days getting tuned up." And then we would jam for about three days. And the way he like laid it out there, it just goes right by and there's no laugh take. Nobody stops to laugh at it, but it's such a funny joke. It's like, yeah, we spend three days tuning our guitars because that's how much speed we were on. And then we yeah. spend three days playing. And the, and the, and the, the way they do the animation of the, the scene of the young dudes, you know, in the living room with their instruments set up and the way they're, they're moving around the room, you know, laying on couches. Yeah, like a time lapse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty brilliant. I, for me, I think the, the thing that the biggest laugh I got was, was Swamp Dog when they're, they're doing an extended riff on how Johnny likes to unaccountably like to walk around naked and, and they're talking about his shortcomings and, and Swamp Dog comes in, you know, like, I'm not going to talk about, his teeny weeny peeny because people will be talking about my teeny weeny peeny if I do that. <laughs> that was great. And he was so deadpan. Everyone was so deadpan all through this, but like Swamp Dog definitely like that guy's got a poker face. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um and you know, towards the end as 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 they're kind of wrapping it up and people are, are talking about Johnny who who passed in two thousand and three and uh yeah, Swamp Dog's probably got the most understated remembrance of him. But he talks about, you know, towards the end, he he would call Johnny up and 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 tell him, you know, I got a bunch of great songs, Johnny. We need to work on them. And it it just really it hit me um, 
pretty hard because because I've been in that situation when you're talking to somebody and you're sort of revisiting old times and you know that you're not going to go down. You know, you got the feeling that Swamp Dog knew that Johnny wasn't in any shape to come down to Nashville and record some more of his songs. And and yeah. but but but. You know, and he's not the kind of guy to break down in tears or get mopey or sentimental, but but he's conveying uh, the way that they express their love for each other, and and that really touched me. So that was the next question: is what was the saddest part to 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 you? And that for me was the the the, the most touching part. What was the saddest part of the episode to you? For me, the saddest part was, and it was sort of it would crop up time and again, which is, and it's not just the Johnny Paycheck story, but it, when you're a fan of rock documentary like you see it over and over again and it's people who have everything all this talent all this success and then drugs and alcohol just completely wipe out all of it and so you, they go from the potential of having everything to the reality of having nothing and it's just completely heartbreaking yeah, and and uh, and that's something that we're going to see in season two and the funk series really hammered home um, when yeah. when they do the Rick James and James Brown's episodes. But yeah, that that is a pretty hard thing to 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 see, and they don't they don't pull any punches. And the Adams brothers, you know, talk about how how Paycheck had this inability to cope with success, and he also had what they called a five year cycle. And they said he went yeah. through about four of them where he would. You know, he would get his shit together. He would get his act cleaned up. He'd really work on his music. Um, you know, when he had the the big hit with "Don't Take Her," she's all I've got. He's clean and sober and doing everything real business like. And then he gets the black hat, <laughs> and they're yeah. just like, "Here comes trouble," you know. And then, and then, <laughs> you know, they tell the tale of how he earned the name Johnny Bad Check and and uh, did the the prison time that that he named uh, that judge calls. That inspired the album was it eleven months and twenty nine days, uh, yeah. which was the length of his sentence for for Kite and Checks, and um, and we haven't talked about that album. Judge recommends it highly or calls it the quintessential outlaw album, and I, I think it's more just because it's the title and the shots of Johnny Paycheck in jail, and that he's describing you know that he's named the album after a real jail sentence that he served, but. I got to quibble a little bit. I mean, and I, and I totally respect artistic license and calling it the ultimate outlaw statement, but I mean, it's far from the ultimate outlaw statement. I mean, it's, you know, years after Waylon and Willie's first albums, it's not David Allen Coe. It's produced by Be Billy Sherrill of all things, like the quintessential, right. you know, country politic producer, but it is a solid album. And, and that segues. It is. Yeah. yeah go ahead and talk and about it's, it. It's, and it's the outlaw. I mean, it's the quintessential Johnny Paycheck outlaw album. And, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're looking for that, you know, in, in Paycheck's discography, there it is. Yeah. And like absolutely. you said, the Waylon's, you know, uh, honky tonk heroes and then the records that had, that happened in the earlier seventies. I mean, that whole thing had been nailed down. Like the outlaw thing was fully formed by the, by 1976 when uh, 11 months and 29 days came on, but it's still, it's still a great record. Oh yeah. It's, it's well worth listening to, but I got to say 
the little darling stuff, if you can get your hands on it, and it's well worth taking the effort uh, to buy it on CD. Um, if you can, there's a, a series, and I'm blanking on the name, but where they do year by year albums of key artists. Uh, classic is in the, the name of the title, but that's why I tracked down the most of the Johnny Paycheck stuff from the little darling years. Um, but frankly, you know, this is another situation where the copyright regime has kind of fucked us because a lot of this stuff is out of print and unavailable. So, you know, you might have to resort to black market if you have to have it. And, you know, absolutely. I, I highly do. And, and, you know, having worked professionally with so many of these, you know, there's like four companies that own the copyrights to virtually all the music that's ever been recorded. And these behemoths are such blind idiot gods, you know, like a, in my day job as a mixed martial arts blogger, I was trying to license a Brazilian song from the early sixties and universal doesn't even won't even bother to reply to Vox media's official legal team trying to pay for the fucking song, you know? And so something like little darling records that paycheck owned, and I have no idea who he sold it to or who ended up owning the rights, but it's, it's not being well yeah, served because it's 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 really hard to find. Um, but but yeah, you know, uh, I, I think the real Mister Heartache, the little darling years, is a is a good anthology and and um, available, pre- relatively easy to find compared to the other stuff. But also Absolutely. the the real Mister Heartache is great, uh, and it's got you know, it's got a terrific collection of that sound and i in several of the p- different people i read they were talking about little darling stuff they they used the the phrase hard country which i i kind of i can see where they're coming from that it's it's hard hitting tight honky tonk country music yeah it's it's definitely clearly written and produced for basically truckers playing planted on jukeboxes you know i mean it's it's yeah. for it's for grown ass dudes and women who want to dance and get their drink on and, and hear some stories that they can relate to and have some laughs too. I mean, that, you know, not taking itself too seriously, although sometimes some very poignant stuff, but yeah, it's, it's hardcore, hardcore country. And you also wanted to recommend yep. the jukebox Charlie album. What, 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 yep. what, 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 what do you about that? That, uh, another little darling album that, uh, it's just chock full of great tunes. Again, it's hard to find. You can get it. You can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. Uh, and it's just a great example of like a, uh, an actual front to back album uh, from that little darling period. So really like you'd be just as well suited probably going for the real Mr. Heartache compilation. Yeah. Um, although, and I would want to recommend the Love and Machine album from I think '64, which which is is killer and has a really ridiculous double entendre um, title song. And you also wanted to recommend a George Jones album that's one of Mike Judge's favorites. Yeah, and this one's also hard to find, but it's. Uh, I read an interview with uh, Gary Adams, and he talked about when he first was talking to Mike Judge about doing the show. Mike specifically talked about this record live at Dancetown USA by George Jones and the Jones boys. And at that time, the Jones boys was largely the Adam brothers. Uh, so they're on this record and it's just killer. And it's, it's rare. You don't hear a lot of live George Jones. Uh, and it's a, just a great sort of 
sort of window into like what it would be like to go to a show like this in the mid sixties. Yeah. When George Jones was at his peak and before he had, uh, descended completely into alcoholism, or at least they caught him on one night when he wasn't shit face drunk. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we'll talk about George Jones and Tammy Wynette, uh, in a couple episodes, but, um, before we go, I want to talk about how this fits, this episode fits into the arc of the series. And, I actually have one little beef. This is this is the first episode, and then the second episode is Jerry Lee Lewis. But I really think this one should introduce the third and fourth episode, which is George Jones and Tammy Wynette, parts one and two, because it's really a prequel for that big epic, because it's got the Adams Brothers who backed up both George and Tammy, and Johnny Paycheck is all over that uh, episode, playing bass for George and, and fight with George. Uh, so... But I don't know where you would put the Jerry Lee Lewis episode otherwise, unless you did it Johnny Paycheck and then the Jones and Tammy and then Jerry Lee Lewis. But why do you think they did that? Why do you think they did Jerry Lee Lewis as the second episode? My only thought is that, uh, and I agree with you 100%, like the, the George and Tammy episodes follow directly on from the Johnny Paycheck episode, uh, and that's the way that it should uh, flow. But uh, my only thought is because they used the full episode of the Johnny Paycheck episode as a teaser, there might have been some sort of uh, extra legal reasons why they didn't go with the uh, the killer episode first. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, you know, I think that Jerry Lee Lewis is definitely the most controversial figure that they cover in this series. So we'll talk about that on the next episode. Um so I can see why they kind of wanted to tuck him away a little bit. Um, but that episode, all of the episodes are great. And, and um, But Jerry Lee Lewis is kind of an outlier as far as he doesn't fit in. He doesn't connect. He's a loner. He's like Pee Wee Herman. He's a loner and a rebel. And he didn't really ever connect, plug into Nashville directly. He had his own band that played for Jerry Lee. They didn't play for a lot of other people. There's just not a lot of cross-pollination between Jerry Lee and the country. I mean, it was with the Jerry Lee and the Sun Records rockabilly scene. But anyway, that's talk for a future episode. So <laughs> any, any final thoughts on Johnny Paycheck and Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus first episode? Well, I did definitely, A, I loved watching it. I watched it a whole bunch of times, as I know you did. Uh, and it really deepened my interest in Johnny Paycheck just as an artist. Uh and, you know, I'm, I'm going to be listening, listening to a lot more of old JP here in the next couple of years, uh, thanks to having watched this episode. And it was just, you know, as a person who sort of picks up all of this sort of music, you know, minutia as I go through and read books and, and, and see things, this uh, documentary has just been such a great sort of complement to all of that because it's its own really unique way of telling these stories. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a classic example of why it's better to show than to tell. And uh, yeah. and yet, like like we said, it's, it's primary source, it's, you know, original research, it's brought to life with this hilarious and beautiful animation and, and really excellent storytelling techniques. It's been a hallmark of judges throughout his whole career. And so... 
uh, that's our episode. So, Justin Banks, and thanks for joining us. I hope everybody enjoyed this. this is a little bit of a, a lighter side from my usual uh, heavy nerd out interviews with authors. And and so I'm hoping to get uh, author Joe Bonomo uh, for the Jerry Lee Lewis episode. I did a, a interview with him about his book about Jerry Lee Lewis and his album Live at the Star Club. So I'm hoping we can get Joe to come and join us uh, for the Jerry Lee Lewis episode. So thanks again, Justin, and we'll talk to you next Thank time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you soon. Be sure and subscribe to the Let It Roll podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Podomatic, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at LetItRollCast. Come back Monday when legendary author Stanley Booth joins Nate to talk Memphis music, from Furry Lewis to Dewey Phillips to Elvis Presley himself. And check back here next Thursday as Nate and Justin will be back to talk more tales from the tour bus featuring the problematic Jerry Lee Lewis. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.